Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? That was a pretty good response. Sometimes I'm not sure, you know. I, uh, it always helps when you talk to me a little bit. Give me a little feedback. I'll never forget what Bishop Johnson said when he preached here a couple years ago. He says, if you guys aren't talking to me, I'm not going to preach. We're doing a series on the authority of God. And it may seem strange to you that what we're doing is not what you might think about as authority. But if you can't lead your own life, you're not going to be able to lead others. If you're not in alignment with the authority of God, you can't lead your family. You can't be a leader where you are in the marketplace, where you work in your neighborhood. And that's why we're focusing on this key, five keys to kingdom governance of our hearts. So establishing godly boundaries in our lives, our sexuality under the lordship of Christ, our finances under the lordship of Christ, our emotions under the lordship of Christ and our speech honoring God and all that we say. Many years ago, Janice and I lived in uh, Missouri, southwest Missouri, in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, If you've never been there, it's a small city, about 350,000 people, so it's pretty substantial. There are five colleges there, and uh, among other businesses like bass tracker boats, bass fishing is huge down there, okay? But we would do a conference every year uh, for three weeks. It was an intense leadership training conference to train uh, university uh, pastors. And it was one of the highlights of our year, uh, Institute of Campus Ministry. It was actually a seminary level training. Um, It was one of those things that was like 18 hours a day for three weeks. So you moved in together on the campus and it was an amazing thing. Similar to what we want to do with uh, residential training here um, in a lot of ways. In this particular year, Janice and I always uh, looked for leaders that were coming up that we wanted to invest in, that we wanted to reach out to. And since we live there, uh, we, on the weekends, we wanted to host them and, and have them come over to our house and just relax and spend time with them. Very interesting. We invited uh, four uh, young leaders from California. And at this season in our life, Janice was working as an executive chef in a uh, company down there. Uh, I know some of you don't know, we have different chapters to our lives, and this was one chapter. And Janice was going through an explosion of amazing new recipes, which was a delight to my stomach (laughs) and heart as well, uh, because she was bringing home all these uh, wonderful recipes and things like that. And she was cooking up a storm. I mean, just um, amazing creations. And uh, by the way, let me put in a commercial message. If that ever keeps you from inviting us over to your house because you're intimidated that Janice cooks, then you're sinning. Forget it. We don't care if you give us a hot dog and you invite us to your house. We, you know, hospitality is not just about doing that. But this is Janice's gift, and this is how Janice shows love. How many of you have ever seen the movie Babette's Feast? It's a Christian movie. Uh, we went to the movie store years ago, and they said, we don't carry those kind of movies. And I said, no, it's a, it's a good movie. It's rated G. It's not a bad. So anyway, but it's this amazing movie, movie about this woman who's a chef that in Sweden, and she's caring for these old people. And that reminds me of our, the, the way that Janice loves. She cooks for people. So we invited these four people over, and we said, hey, be there at 1230. And I remember Janice was putting together this feast, and it, and it literally took her days to prepare things. So we were doing a uh, citrus-cured salmon, smoked salmon, that we smoked over eight hours, and it took a day to prepare even before that. And all this preparation went in, and she was so excited about putting this lavish feast on for these kids that were coming. Well, it was 12.30 on Sunday after church, and they weren't there. And uh, then it was 1, and then it was 1.15, And a lot of the stuff that she had done had to come out of the oven at a certain time and be ready on the table. And those of you that are exquisite cooks, I'm looking at Sarah, I see the pain on your face too, because I know we have a lot of good cooks here. But you know what it's like when you put this feast out. Well, they were about an hour and a half late, and this is uh, a little bit before cell phones worked as efficiently as they did today. Nobody texted then. And I'm thinking, where are these people? And finally... I got a hold of one of the guys that was supposed to come over, and he said, well, we thought we'd just stop at the mall on the way over for a little bit and uh, before we came here. And and by the time they got there, dinner was ruined. Janice was livid. She felt rejected. Uh, I was really upset, and I thought, what is going on with people? 
You know, we spent time, we spent money, we spent all this stuff putting this together. When I finally lovingly confronted Kurt, who was one of the, the guys um, that was supposed to be there that day, he said, we thought you guys were just going to like throw some hot dogs on the grill. We had no idea. And the reason I said that is because I feel like we're in an exquisite moment of time. I want us to just stop for a moment and listen to what Dinah said this morning during the worship. Did you hear what the Lord said to us? That he, that heaven is rejoicing over us. That God's love is extended to us. He's preparing a feast for us. He wants to lavish things on us. And I, as, as she shared this this morning, I, I, the Lord took me back to the first couple chapters of Proverbs where the Lord talks about saying, wisdom is crying out in the streets. If you will listen and understand what I have prepared for you and walk in my ways and not walk in your own ways. But right now in this season, I feel like those people that neglected our feast that day, there are many Christians that are neglecting the feast that God has laid for them. They don't think God loves them very much. They think God wants to throw a few hot dogs on the grill for them. Okay? God is preparing an exquisite feast for you. And we are in a moment of time where the Lord is speaking to us, and He is speaking to this church, and I believe the words that He's giving us in this series are exquisite words. And the Lord is telling me there are people here that are saying, I'm going to serve the Lord in most of my ways, but there are a few ways that I'm going to reserve to myself. And I'm going to stay stubborn. I'm going to ask God to bless me, but I'm not going to do it His way. So I'm going to manage my money. I'm going to manage my sexuality. I'm going to do just... Now, most ways, I'm going to say, God, you can do whatever you want. But this particular area of my life, you can't have. And I've got to tell you what the Lord is saying today is, He's got a feast for us. If we will but listen to Him and open our hearts to Him... This is the impression that I got, is that God wants to bless us at a level that we can't imagine, but only a trickle is getting through because we're not aligning our hearts with Him. We're looking for rest in the wrong place. We're doing things our way, and we're saying, why doesn't God bless me? So are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? I don't want anybody to come under condemnation. This is about love. I love one of the pictures we got at our Living Free uh, group on Wednesday. Uh, there was a picture of a big plumbing thing coming right out of heaven with a big valve on it. And the Lord was saying, I'm opening the valve right now. Can I say it? We were praying for John, the plumber. So it was very appropriate for him. I'm opening the blessings in your life, and I'm just pouring them out on you. And God wants to turn up the blessings in your life. He's just saying, will you just pay attention and listen to me and do what I'm telling you to do? Because God wants to bless you beyond anything you can ever think or hope or imagine. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word today, we come knowing that we serve a God who doesn't condemn us. Oh, Lord, if you wanted to condemn us, you could have wiped us out a long time ago. But Lord, you love us so much. To think that you are in heaven, Lord, rejoicing over us, that all heaven rejoices when one person turns from their ways and turns to the Lord. It says all of heaven rejoices. We wonder, Lord, if you're listening sometimes. You are listening. You do want to bless us. You do want to pour out amazing blessings on us. God, we just yield our hearts to you today and say, come, Lord, show us your ways. We want to stop doing it our way. And we want to turn from our wicked ways. We want to turn to do things your ways so that your blessings can be abundantly lived out in our lives, God. Lord, we just open our hearts today. And Lord, if there are things that have been blocking our our ability to hear your voice, things that are standing in the way of our obedience, Lord, we just want to yield those. Can you just agree with me right now? We may not even know what they are. and and, And I'm saying that for me too, because when I preach, I get convicted as well. So Lord, we just open our heart to you and say, come and work in us, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, we talked about our emotions under the Lordship of Christ. Let me just do a quick review. We talked about how sin affects our spirit, but it also affects our hearts, meaning our emotions, our will, and our intellect. 
When Jesus redeems us, he doesn't want to just save us from sin and give us a ticket to heaven, but he opens our heart so that we can be healed, so that we can be restored. And we're going to see that here. I'll say it again. When Jesus stood in the synagogue in Nazareth and he said, read Isaiah 61, and he says, I'm here to bind up the brokenhearted. What was he talking about? He wasn't saying, I'm just here to give people a ticket to heaven, give them salvation, and I'm going to let you hurt for the rest of your life. He was saying, I'm here to restore you, to heal you, to bind up the brokenness of your heart. All of us are broken. Can we say that together? All of us are broken. There's not one person here that isn't broken. There are people that know they're broken, and there are people that haven't realized it yet. But everybody's broken. And God wants to heal and restore us. And guess what? He's the only one that has the plans. He's the only one that knows how to put us together. We also know that sin hardens our hearts. It means it hardens our emotions. It closes up our will, resistance against receiving spiritual revelation from God. Our emotions are involved with our spirituality and how we respond to the Lord. A hardening of our hearts toward God leads to a loss of spiritual sensitivity, and we begin to live our lives in sensuality, living by our five senses. Sensuality means we live according to our emotional whims and physical desires. And our walk with Christ, number three, is a walk of salvation followed by continuing transformation. How many of you know that the Christian walk is a walk of ongoing transformation? It's a process. You may say, God, I was born again at a certain time. The first time I ever experienced your presence and I came into your family, you were born again. But I've got to tell you, I have all these markers in my life. There are literally hundreds of them now where God has met me and said, this is another area of your life. I'm going to bring a breakthrough. It's a process. And it goes on and I expect it to go on and it should be happening every week. We should be ready for that every day. Some of us in living free or freedom class, we've gone through that. And and the term we've used is I was just born again, again, because God continues to visit us and do his work in us. And number four, having emotions is not sinful. The question is, where are your emotions going to lead you? Anger in itself is not a sin. okay, but it can lead you the wrong way. I felt really bad. I've got I've got to tell you this right now. I love LeBron James in a lot of ways. Sometimes it's frustrating, okay? But I love him for what he's doing in our community. I was sitting at a table of people from around the country, and somebody was bad-mouthing LeBron James, and I said, do you know what he does for young people in the city of Akron in Northeast Ohio? And they said, no, tell us. And I did, and they said, man, I'll never see him the same way. So I've got to tell you, I love LeBron James. But this morning when I read the news and found out he broke his hand punching a whiteboard after the first game. Did you read the news? Because he was angry. Yeah, Janice would be angry too. I'd have broken my hand. Yeah, at least he didn't hit JR. I know. Okay. Can we get get personal here? (laughs) Because I know what he was probably thinking. If you're a sports fan, you know what I'm talking about. If not, just ignore me. But sometimes anger can lead us the right way and we can say somebody's crashing my boundaries. My life is out of order. Anger is a gauge that tells us that there's something wrong in our life that we need to do something about it and we need to bring it to a a healthy and godly resolution. I wish LeBron had just said, darn it. (laughs) Or get a punching bag. When I was a kid, I had such a problem with rage and anger. I'm, I'm just confessing to you. My parents did. They got me a speed bag, and I got pretty good at it. I used to envision people when I was hitting the speed bag. I'm being honest with you. And then when I got saved, when I came to the Lord, I said, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> because what you think in your heart is actually, that's like murder. Number five, Paul goes on to identify specific emotions and behaviors that we need to learn to manage. For instance, anger. Anger is an indication that a boundary has been crossed, a spiritual or emotional wound discovered, an indication of stress, an attempt to prevent others from getting close to you, an indication that you feel a sense of loss, a device that shuts down communication. Some people rage and anger, especially guys, I want to say this, they rule over their family with rage because they really don't want people to get close to them and they don't want to have communication. Guys, if you're doing that, you need to know that's sin. 
You cannot grow as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ if you're using rage to intimidate the people around you. You want to be a godly man? You need to learn to handle your strength with integrity, humility, and not intimidate people. You need to serve. You need to roll up your robes like Jesus did. Or, I know you don't have robes, but you know what I mean. Roll up your sleeves and serve. That's what it means to be a godly man. Well, Paul goes on to address other emotions as well as other behaviors. So you can go to the next slide there. Ephesians 4.29, he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. God wants, to, wants us to bring our speech under his lordship. What we say. What's the, what's the standard here? That it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Are these emotions? They're actions, but they're also emotions. God wants to redeem our feelings and use our feelings to serve Him in a positive way. This is part of growing in Christ. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The fruit of the sinful nature and the fruit of the flesh both deal with negative and positive emotions. God makes clear that as disciples we can be transformed and produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. A lot of the fruit of the Holy Spirit are emotions. They are the emotions of God, so to speak. They are the heart of God revealed to us. Let's look at Galatians 5.16, and this may be a little small, the next slide there. You can read it in your Bible. Starting in Galatians 5, he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what, the spirit, of what the sinful nature desires. Let me go back there and read that again. The Spirit gives us desires. When you start walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is in you, He begins to give you new desires. He wants to change from the old desires that used to rule your life that were basically your sinful nature wanting to consume and wanting to use, wanting to abuse people around you. And he's saying, now I want you to have my desires. Part of being redeemed and walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ means that he wants you to walk with new desires. That's part of the transformation of the heart. And that's why I'm amazed growing up in the church. I never, I don't think I ever heard people talk about emotions. As a matter of fact, emotions were bad. Remember last uh, year when we had David Ekman here and he said, uh, he said to a bunch of us leaders privately because he used, well, he still is, I think, on the uh, crew staff. It used to be Campus Crusade. It's now crew. And he said, we used to have that little thing, fact, faith, feeling. We used to put feelings in the back of the train and we used to say, you know, it's a fact that we need to serve God. We need to have faith in him and your feelings have to be secondary. There's some truth in that. But he said, we made feelings seem unimportant and they're not. Because if you are born again and your feelings are still unredeemed, your feelings are going to lead you to a different place than your spirit wants to go. That's the truth. And that's a problem. By the way, David's coming back this fall for part two, and we'll be telling you about that. Let's go to verse 17 again and read that again. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just opposite of what, your, of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the spiritual, of what, excuse me, what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. How many of you are in the midst of the battle? There's a war going on. And you can feed the troops on both sides. You choose which troops you're going to feed. You can either feed the sinful nature or you can feed the spirit. If you sow to the spirit, what do you get? You get a harvest of righteousness. If you feed the sinful nature, what's going to happen? We've been getting a word among our leaders here in Northeast Ohio, and the Lord is saying one of the things that's holding back a spiritual awakening in our heart is so many leaders are caught up in pornography and they're compromised. It's time to be honest about this, folks. Because people are feeding 
the flesh, the spirit cannot work freely in them. Now, don't you go and get condemned on me about that. I'll never forget in Pittsburgh at the Promise Keepers rally years ago when they asked people to stand that were bound by pornography that wanted to get free. And then they said, now, for those of you that have a lying spirit that didn't stand with the first group, you can get up too. It was kind of a funny thing, but it's not funny. We need to help one another. And when you come into the light, and we have opportunities in this church to set people free if you are dealing with that. But these two forces, the Bible tells us, are constantly fighting each other. Sometimes, in our daily lives, we can feel like a war zone. The night I came to Christ as a student at Kent State University many years ago, I felt like there were two giant spiritual forces fighting over me. And the minute that I fell to my knees and said yes to Jesus, I felt all the darkness leave the room and the light of God just was poured out on me. Now, can I tell you that I haven't had a battle since then? No. As a matter of fact, I was still walking in a lot of my own ways and I didn't realize a lot of what I did fed the flesh instead of the spirit. Verse 18 says, when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. Verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful natures, the results are very clear. So when you follow your emotional desires of the sinful nature, here are the results. These are the fruits of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's the fruit of the sinful nature. If you feed that nature, this is what's going to happen in your life. Don't be surprised if you're feeding your sinful nature and this happens. This is, this is normal, natural. This is where most people in the world are. Then Paul says this. He says, let me tell you again. As I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But thanks be to God, he doesn't leave us there, does he? He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, here's a clue for all of us in how this happens. In verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and have crucified them there. So here's the question today. Have you nailed your passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross? Because as much as God wants to help you, it requires your cooperation. It means you have to be willing to nail those to the cross. I remember as an early follower of Jesus, there were days when I would just, and I found this helped me, if I fell to my knees and prayed right where I was having a temptation or a battle against the flesh, I would fall to my knees and I would just start crying out to God. Did a lot of praying. I had big calluses on my knees during that season. Because there was a spiritual war going on. So let me break this down a little bit. When our emotions are not redeemed by the power of God, they can take us to the wrong place. Can I tell you that many Christians think they're being led of the Spirit, but in reality, they're following their own passions. How do you know the difference? Well, one is getting to know the Word of God. Let me give you an assignment this week, by the way. Why don't you take the next seven days and read one chapter of Proverbs? Read it and say, Lord, will you speak to me out of this? And see what the Lord does. A lot of good wisdom in there for us. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Let's read it again. Galatians 5.17 The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting. When we live by the Holy Spirit, He gives us new desires. But there's still a war there. You can still activate the flesh by participating in the things of the flesh. In the freedom class, people you know, will come and there are some people that want us to pray over them and they want us to pray and they, they say, will you pray over me that this will be instantly gone? Sometimes that happens. 
Then there are other times it doesn't happen that way. It takes a whole season of cooperation with God. So somebody comes to me and says, I want to get free of pornography. Will you pray over me that that spirit of lust would lead me? And I'll say, yes, but you need to do what you're going to do. Are you still, do you still have a smartphone or have you gotten your dumb phone yet? Are you still driving certain neighborhoods? Or are you going a new way? Do you have accountability relationships? See, there's an obedience factor here. So you want to get free, you need to do what you need to do. Those of us that are coming out of an addictive behavior. Don't say, I feel like the Lord wants me to go witness in the bar where I used to snort cocaine. Can we be smart about this? Okay. What you need to do is some of us need to be away from that environment for a while and just be smart about this and avoiding temptation. Man, it's getting quiet in here again. Is this a convicting series? Are you guys, you're not, nobody's falling asleep, are they? Randy raised his hand. He's falling asleep. <laughs> Sorry, Randy. I had to pick on you, man. Number two, our emotions can be a very powerful, overwhelming force in our life. Isn't that true? We need to learn to harness our emotions and bring our emotions under the lordship of Christ. Found a neat quote from Nancy Ann Smith, a pastor writing in Leadership Magazine. She says, you're responsible, for what you, you're responsible for what you do with your feelings, but you can't help having feelings. Feelings are. Feelings are going to come, aren't they? What are you going to do with it? Years ago, when I was a young pastor just starting out, there was an older pastor, Brady, that said to me, he said, throughout your life, you're going to have crushes on a number of different women. I said, no, I'm not. I just got married. I love my wife. He said, will you listen to me? (laughs) He said, you're going to have crushes on various women. He said, if you take them seriously and say, man, I'm supposed to be with this woman. That's what my feelings are telling me. Then you're going to get in trouble. But if you bring them under the lordship of Christ and say, you know, God created us with hormones to be attracted to people of the opposite sex, but I've made a commitment to my wife to walk with her in covenant love So I'm going to make that decision not to act on this, and I'm going to do everything I can in this work situation to stay away from that woman. I'm waiting. (laughs) We take our emotions so seriously. I feel this way. It's got to be true. Listen to some of the songs that are out there. Okay, if you want to get a theology or a philosophy of life about where we are as a culture, listen to what they're singing on the radio. We've gone a long way from the Beatles, I want to hold your hand, to all sorts of other stuff. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. And then it goes downhill from there. Think about this. What are you listening to? Janice and I love Motown. We listen to a lot of Motown. And most of the early Motown is really good stuff. But then it starts getting nastier later. And we've we decided in the car, if we hear a song that comes on, eh, we hit the next station. I don't even want it in my mind. Because we're being fed this whole thing from a culture that's telling us how to live. I still love the Sprite commercial best, Obey Your Thirst. <laughs> or is that Mountain Dew? Whatever it is, I don't know. I don't drink any of them. I can't handle sugar like that. Obey your thirst. I've said enough there. Our emotions can be powerful. We need to harness our emotions and bring them under the lordship of Christ. When we follow the desires of our sinful nature, the results are very obvious. That's what Scripture tells us. Can you learn to harness your emotions for the glory of God? Number three, we need to learn to yield to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. There are people all over the world that want love. They want peace. They want patience. And they're going everywhere but the Holy Spirit. People are looking for rest. They're looking for peace. And they keep looking everywhere but just being alone in the presence of God. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Two keys in the healing of emotions, and both of them are spiritual transactions 
One is forgiveness and the other is repentance. If you want to grow in God and you want to move forward in the Lord, you need to learn to walk in forgiveness and you need to make repentance your friend. It's so simple. It's the Lord's prayer. Father, forgive me as I have forgive those who have sinned against me. That's a daily prayer. And he's not just saying to say that prayer. We need to, we need to go deep there and we need to say, Lord, so-and-so really offended me yesterday. I need to release them in forgiveness. Sometimes we need to talk with people and work them out. Other times we need to wipe the slate clean and let them go and forgive them. I know people that have been in the Christian life for years and they are still stuck in their spiritual life because they won't do this one transaction with God and that's forgive the people that hurt them. And I know there are people that have been deeply hurt because we do really terrible things to one another as human beings, don't we? It's not about you absolving the person who hurts you. And by the way, when you forgive somebody, that doesn't take them off the hook with God. They need to work it out with God. Do you know why it's important to forgive? Because it unhooks your heart from theirs. You want to talk about emotional healing, let the healing begin when you forgive. I have prayed with people that have had to forgive whole countries. I have prayed with veterans that have had to forgive people that they have fought against in wars. I've had to pray with people that have had to forgive whole racial and ethnic groups because they've been hurt. And that's appropriate. But many of us, it's the people that are closest to us, it's our family, it's our friends that hurt us the most. And we need to release them in forgiveness. Repentance is the same thing. We need to learn to repent of our sins. The fourth thing, let's go to the next slide. We need to, Jesus came to heal our hearts and our emotions. He didn't just come to give us eternal life, although that's wonderful in itself. And over the years, I've had a number of people go off on me, theologically. They're usually from a certain theological bent. But they'll say, what is this whole stuff you're talking about, about God healing emotions? That's not in the Bible. I had one lady at a Christian school. I was doing a chapel at the school, and she came up to me and she said, Jesus came to forgive sins, and that's what the cross is about. And all this other stuff you're talking about is not in the Bible. And I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had people come and say that to me. Luke 4.18, Jesus stands in Nazareth, hometown where he grew up. And he's reading Isaiah 61. He takes the scroll that day. He is part of the synagogue worship that day. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. This is Jesus talking about his mission statement. Is he concerned about our hearts? To preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty liberty those that are bruised. And by the way, the word brokenhearted here literally means a heart in pieces. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord, that's the freeing of all slaves and the returning of all land to the original owners. And then he closed the book and gave it to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them, this, is, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And the people took offense at that because they said, he's a carpenter's son and he grew up right here. How dare he say that he's fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah? Twice the scripture uses a word here that means crushed or broken in pieces. And the Lord is saying, I'm coming to pick up the pieces of your life. Only God can take our broken pieces and make us whole again. As I was preparing this week, I felt like the Lord wanted me to share a story out of my life. And I've shared it before, but I'm going to share it again. I know a lot of people are new here. It was in 1989. Janice and I were living in Kent at the time. And uh, we got a call at about 3 in the morning. How many of you know that calls that time of night usually are not good? And uh, it was a friend of mine uh, from Missouri telling us that his 19-year-old daughter had just been killed by a drunk driver. Jennifer was a beautiful 
young lady of 19. The week before this happened, she told her mom, she said, I feel like I need to get my heart right with God. She recommitted her life to Christ, and which was a very comforting thing. But a woman who, was, who had fled the state of Texas on an outstanding warrant for drunken driving was working as a stripper in Missouri. Jennifer got off at midnight from her job, and this woman was coming from her job, and she just T-boned Jennifer's car, and Jennifer was killed immediately. When you have somebody in your life that you've had your entire life, and they're in their 80s, 90s, close to 100 years old, and they lived a good life, it hurts when they go home. But when you lose a child, the grief is so intense. Janice and I were young. We were very young at that time in our life, and to watch our friends go through this was, and honestly, they were not, they were not the same after that. It changed their lives in a lot of ways. It was about a year after that, Janice and I had moved. We were living in Barcelona, Spain, in a micro-apartment. Uh, it's amazing how much we paid for so little space. We were there for the 92 Olympics and uh, teams coming in. And my friend, uh, Dennis came, the one who lost his daughter, uh, came to spend some time with us. He was touring. He was going around Europe speaking in different places in Europe. And uh, I could tell when he was with us, I hadn't talked to him much because we had gone overseas, and I could tell that he was still in deep grief. And uh, we just had a wonderful several days together. We ended up going to one of our play- favorite places in Barcelona, the Barrio Gotico, the ba- Gothic Quarter where um, the buildings are all from 1,200, 1,300. I mean, it's just amazing art, whatever. Unfortunately, at that season, the skinheads were destroying a lot of it, so there was a battle to... Yeah, there are skinheads in Spain, too. But anyway, we, we went out that night for a beautiful dinner, and Jana spotted this plate, and they make these beautiful plates in Spain and Portugal, hand-painted, just exquisite work. And we bought one for Dennis and for his wife, and we said, hey, why don't you take this home, and we just, we love you guys so much. So we meticulously wrapped it in plastic and bubble pack and the whole thing. Well, over the next couple weeks, uh, I went with Dennis on part of the trip. We were in Budapest. We were in Switzerland. We were traveling all over Europe, and Dennis carried this plate through England, all, everywhere. And he said on the way home, he took it out of a suitcase because he wanted to hand it to his wife as he was coming out of the airport. And as he was rushing to get out of the airport and he was going through the revolving doors, he didn't make it in time and the plate got stuck in the door and it just went crunch and then it fell on the ground and it broke into so many pieces and slivers and they don't make unbreakable pottery in Spain. Let's put it that way. So go forward again another year and we had moved to Springfield, Missouri and we were going to stay with our friends for a short time. And we walk in, and there's the plate hanging on the wall. And from eight feet away, you couldn't tell one crack in the plate. And then Barbara told us the story. She said, I got the pieces of that plate. She said, this is my life. It's all in pieces. And she said, I began to glue every day, hours. I would glue the pieces together. And she said, it became a labor of love, and God just began to work in my heart through this whole thing. She said, I know it's not the same. She said, but there it is on the wall. Can I tell you today, that's what God wants to do with the broken pieces of our life. But thanks be to God, he doesn't use glue. See, only God can heal the broken pieces of our life. I mean, many of us have shattered emotions, People have experienced physical abuse, sexual abuse, abandonment, rejection, fear. All of us have a story to tell, don't we? And all the Lord wants us to do is come to him with the pieces of our life, and he says, just give me what you have, and I'm going to put you back together the right way. The good thing about what the Lord does to us is when he puts us back together, it's even better. He takes the broken pieces of our life and he gives us new meaning to old hurts. Our friend who lost her daughter from the story, 
began speaking with, uh, with MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. She started speaking in literally dozens of schools, one school after another, and getting in to talk about that was an open door, but she always shared Jesus in each one of those schools. She said something to me. She said, my daughter's life, I don't understand why she went. I have to leave that in the Lord's hands. But I'll tell you one thing, I'm gonna, her death is going to mean something. And it changed her life. And she was able to literally touch the lives of thousands of people sharing Jennifer's story. We can't go back in time. The Lord can't go back and say, okay, you've got a do-over day. I know you've all watched uh, Groundhog Day and some of the other movies out there where you get this fantasy about going back and doing over. And if we get stuck in the past, it doesn't help us, does it? Sometimes, do you know why we get stuck in the past? We're trying to work out the emotion of what happened to us. I just am, I'm sharing this very honestly with you today because as a community, we need one another to help heal each other. And we need the love of the Lord because it's a process. It doesn't happen all at once. But I will tell you this, it requires us to come to the Lord and surrender and say, God, I need to trust you and I'm going to give you the pieces. Sometimes I see people holding that bag full of pieces, like, you're not going to get my pieces. You're not going to, uh-uh. And you stay broken. You have to hand it over to the Lord. Jesus wants to heal our broken hearts. Do you know why it's a process? Because it's based in relationship. It's not a program, it's not a class, it's not a book you read. It's a relationship with the living God. And relationships take time. I don't know if you've had moments like these, but I've taken time to be alone with the Lord at various seasons of my life, and in a matter of seconds, God's presence healed more than any matter, hundreds of hours of counseling. And I'm not anti-counseling. If it's in the Lord, it's, if you have a good counselor that's using biblical principles, that's excellent, okay? God can use even non-Christian counselors. He can use a lot of things if it's based in truth, in his truth. But can I tell you that God can touch us and heal our hearts in a moment in ways that we can't even put words to? Sometimes the Lord has done things in me. I can't even tell you what happened. All I know is the presence of God came down and I knew that he loved me. Is it healing to know that you have a God who's cheering for you, who's in heaven rejoicing over you? That's a hard concept. I love my dad, but my dad never made it to any of my baseball games, to my band concerts. He never saw me ski. He never saw things that I loved because he was too busy working. And I grew up with this idea that God was kind of, you're on your own, son, you can do it. Now, I knew my dad loved me. And my dad and I have worked that out. We love each other. We're fine now, many years later. But it took me a while to really understand and believe and know that there's a God who loves me that much. Can I tell you when to doubt your feelings? Doubt your feelings when they're telling you that God is mad at you. God is so efficient and powerful. If he was mad at you, you'd have been gone by now. (laughs) He's got a plan for you. He loves you. And his plans for you are not to harm you. Isn't that what he told the people? Is that in Ezekiel? He said, my plans are to prosper you, Jeremiah. To bless you, to have a future for you and a hope for you. Let me close with this. Janice and I, um, some of you have been in our home. We have a lot of different original artworks in our home. Most of them were done by people that were in concentration camps. There's one guy that drew birds. He was imprisoned by Hitler as a political prisoner and uh, ended up in Switzerland afterwards. Then he escaped to Canada and opened a studio in Canada, and his son still has a studio there today. We have two 
paintings that were done. There was a colonel. He was a Jewish colonel from Shaker Heights. And when the camps were liberated in World War II, he asked these guys to start painting. He says, I'm going to sell your paintings so you guys can get your feet back on the ground. And we bought two of those paintings from the German 20th century school. But you know what, you know what is amazing about those paintings? And if you come over, we'll show them to you is that people were painting beautiful things with a heart full of hope, even in the worst of situations. Can you imagine that? One of our paintings is done. It's, if you look at the back of it, it's U.S. Army tent. They ran out of fabric to paint on, so they cut up the tents that were wearing out, and that's what they painted on. You know what that says to me? That says, I'm going to take the really, excuse the word, crappy life that I've got right now, And I'm going to take this and I'm going to do something really beautiful with what has been dealt to me. I'm not going to let the world keep me down and I'm not going to be full of bitterness and anger. But I'm going to let my heart soar because I know that there's hope in a God who loves me. And I believe that's what the Lord is saying us today. Can we just bow our heads before the Lord? God is calling for a response today. It's real clear. It's not a one-time, one-size-fits-all, fixes-all. But it's just a, a, a moment. It's a, one of those moments where the Lord is, is calling us to a place. And He's saying, will you bring your broken pieces to me and just lay them before me and allow me to do what I want to do? If you're discerning this morning that there is hurt in your heart, there are things that God needs to heal, would you just get up and come to the front? And I just want to ask you to come if you feel comfortable to to kneel down. Some of you may want to stand. But we're just going to make this an altar moment. And what you're saying to the Lord is, Lord, I want you to take the pieces of my life. And I want you to put me back together the way you want to. I want you to heal my heart. You are the God who binds up the brokenhearted, who sets the captives free. We're just going to pray when you get up here because I I feel like God wants to pray a prayer of healing over hearts today. Just come. There's an obedience component to what the Lord wants to do in you today. And, And God has all these things prepared for us, but he's saying you need to cooperate. Will you cooperate? Will you just come and surrender yourself to me and say, Lord, whatever it is, just come. We're just going to wait a few moments as Pastor Jeff is playing. Let's just wait on the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You are so good to us, Lord. We thank you for your amazing love. We just bless you. We praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just want to take a moment and thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, we just come before you right now and we bring the brokenness of our lives to you. Lord, whether it's abuse, whether it's abandonment, Lord is telling me there are two, two ladies here, uh, two different situations, but in both cases you were abandoned by a spouse and it's left deep wounds that you've never dealt with. And uh, God is wanting to bring a deep healing for that. He can heal that. He can't change the past. 
And the Lord is also saying that you are, uh, this is, uh, I think, for both of these ladies, you've been beating yourselves up because of decisions you've made. You need to leave it, ago, leave it alone, let it go in the past. God does not condemn you, and he doesn't want you to condemn yourself any longer. He just wants you to bring your life to him and adore him and praise him, and he's going to put you together. Lord, we just come before you right now. We just ask for your Holy Spirit to move in these who have responded to you, God. Lord, I pray that you would touch each one of them deeply in their hearts. You're telling me that for a number of people, there was rejection from parents and deep, deep wounding, even in early family years. God, can you heal the pain and heal and restore Lord, even though it may have happened years ago, it's still a page in our book. It may have been page four, page six, age four, age six, whatever. It might be years later, but God, heal those wounds. Give new meaning and significance and healing. We trust you, Lord, and we thank you that you can bind up the broken hearts. We thank you, God, for your goodness. Can we just all stand together, those of you? Hallelujah. Can we just lift our hands to the Lord and thank him? God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We just give you praise and glory and honor. We thank you, Lord, that you're a loving God. We thank you, Lord, that in a moment you can touch our hearts and that you can release your love in us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the words today about your love toward us and the way that you rejoice over us, the way that you are uh, just rejoicing with all of heaven to see what you're doing in us, God. We thank you for that. Lord, help us to learn to tend each other's hearts also. To learn to love, to learn to forgive. To learn to show tenderness toward one another, God. Just help us in the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We bless you, Jesus. Father, as we go today, I just pray that your word would just continue to grow in our hearts, continue to work deeply in us. Lord, make us in your image, change us, transform us, and help us to be agents of transformation and love to the people around us, God, wherever we go, wherever you take us. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.